This is a Visual Audio Times production. Hello and welcome to Imole, your go-to mental health, wellness and spirituality podcast. I am your host, Kalumi. Thank you for hitting play on this episode. Please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcast so you don't miss out on new episodes. Also, follow Imole on Instagram and Twitter at ImoleThePod. Before we start today's episode, I'd like for us to calm our nerves with a short meditation exercise. Follow the sound of my voice. Breathe in slowly. Breathe out slowly. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the self-love journey and the female orgasm. Yes, guys, I said it. (laughs) I have a lovely guest with me who will be sharing her personal journey with us. Her name is Pam Takiwa, and she's a Ghanaian feminist, writer, and brand culture strategist. She's a passionate young lady who's passionate about women, their self-agency, and pleasure. Pam is studying to work in policy design and an analysis to prioritize women's needs in policy making. That was a mouthful, guys. But welcome to the show, Pam. Hi, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes, I hope my introduction was befitting because I know you do a lot. So (laughs) that was just a brief summary. But I just want you to just talk briefly about your platform so that people can know what it is you do and you know how to get in touch with you okay so um i always hesitate to use the word platform because i don't think i'm nearly half as um half all the way there as i want to be but um i have created my instagram and my twitter and my outside of social media work to prioritize women and pleasure And so I love to think that my platform is in the cloud, just like the social media parts, because I primarily work with two groups, the Saloon and Black Girls Glow. And using Black Girls Glow and the Saloon, I am able to meet women at a point that they are comfortable um, in spaces that they are most comfortable. And then I'm able to have conversations that prioritize their pleasure. So yeah, that's basically me. And just to be clear, guys, she's been humble. <laughs> she's been very humble. And I get it, fam. And even though you say you don't have a big platform yet, I feel like what you're doing <laughs> I feel like what you're doing is actually very important, especially here in West Africa. I'm gonna say um West Africa because I'm Nigerian and you're Ghanaian, and even though we both live in Ghana. You know how it is as a woman growing up. And that's actually what I want to talk to you about today. Tell us about your childhood, where you grew up and just how you were raised. 
Um, so I was oh. born in Accra, but I was raised in Sunyane, which is um, maybe let's say about seven hours outside of Accra. And it is a pretty conservative town. It's a small city. Um, you know, those country cities, country type, county type um, environments where everybody knows your family and, you know, you go to school with your siblings and your siblings are friends with your, your friends. It was just a close-knit, small family. And so there wasn't a lot of room for individuality. Even now, I struggle with going back there. I don't go there a lot because it's it's very difficult for people there to accept that um, you are different or that you can't be different. But it was a fun childhood. I was just talking about this a few days ago when um, I realized that a lot of people didn't get to grow up with parents like mine who encouraged reading, um, encouraged fun activities. We had evening playtime, we had family cooking time, um, we had library time, we had road trip time. It was just, I suppose I took a lot of it for granted because again, because it was such a small community, that was what we were all used to. It was pretty middle income upbringing. But it also meant that in as much as we were exposed to a lot of things because of the reading and all of that, in um, the travel, it also meant we weren't very exposed to diverse opinions and cultures because we were all literally the same group of people. And I had to move away to kind of start to understand what that type of um, upbringing, um, how that type of upbringing even reflects in my sexual life. Uh, so yeah, I had a great childhood I had a good upbringing but I think a lot of it also cultivated a lot of shame around sex and sexuality for me um and I'm in my 30s and still learning a lot of it so I suppose it wasn't all bad but it also could have been much better that is my childhood yeah <laughs> <laughs> well everybody thinks their childhood could have been better in all honesty but it sounds like you were sheltered growing up and that has its advantages, like you said, and disadvantages as well. So I want you to tell us about what you learned about sex growing up. Because for me, my dad told me at 10, that if a guy talks to me, I'll get pregnant. And obviously, he said that just to make sure. He said, if every man should near you, you would get pregnant. And I, and I think he felt like my mom was going to teach me the truth. Yeah, I think he felt like my mom was going to teach me the truth later on, which... She ended up doing, but there was still this big emphasis on don't have sex, you get pregnant, or you're sinning. And I grew up in a big city, but you know, I, I grew up in Lagos, but you know, our people are religious for the most part. So it's like, don't have sex yeah. only with your husband, this, that. So please tell us about what you learned about sex growing up, because I'm very curious to learn about the Ghanaian experience. <laughs> Oh, see, that's the thing with the Ghanaian experience, right? It feels very. Um, it feels like we all have the same experience, but they are different, different tiny ways that we keep showing ourselves to be different. Um, I think I had a fairly liberal upbringing. I didn't have my, even though we had a pretty sheltered experience because of the community we grew up in, 
at home, we had a lot of freedom and liberty. I don't know if I'm using the right words, but my parents were not strict parents. It's, um, well, of course, everybody had curfew, but they were not, you can't play with boys, because I was a little tomboyish when I was growing up. I know it's very hard to see now because I am so tiny, but when I was growing up, I was very tomboyish. I only had male friends in my circle of friends. We had a big group. It was like five of us and three or four of us were guys and the, the, the two of us were girls. So my parents were quite used to seeing me around guys and they used to have frank conversations with me. My mother did not go into details, but she did speak to me and my sisters. I have three sisters. She did speak to me and my sisters about um, sex and how you get pregnant and how you don't get pregnant. I remember there was a conversation between my mom and my aunt. Um, they were talking about abortions and how unsafe it was. And they just allowed us to sit and listen. Uh, I suppose it's also because my mother was a bit older. Um, she's about 10, 70. So she didn't have a lot of those boundaries that younger parents would have had because she was a little bit more free with us. I had older siblings, so it was easier for her to have those conversations when all of us are in the same room. And I think for me, that was helpful, but also not so great. I wouldn't say it wasn't unhelpful. That's what I'm saying, not great. It was helpful in that by the time I was a teenager, because of how much I had read and what my parents were comfortable discussing with me, I was not intrigued by sex and sexuality. I was not one of those teenagers that, you know, wanted to know because I genuinely felt like I knew as much about it as I was supposed to know. And that was enough. Uh, I think also one of the things that helped was my mother had us um, intern with PPAG, um, me and my younger sister. Well, my younger sister dropped out because she had no interest, but I ended up working with the peer sexuality and, and sexual health influencer group until I went to senior high school. And so I worked with them for, I think, three years since I was 11 or 12 till I was 15 or so. So it gave me a different perspective on even how teen relationships were to be like. So I, did, I, I, I know a lot of people get shocked when I say this, but I did not have a boyfriend until I was like 18 or 19 because I genuinely did not find a use for boys. And it was because, partly in part because of what... Information <laughs> I Sorry, just from one that. second. That was funny. I genuinely did not find a use for boys. That, no, that, is, I that is actually very funny. People would think we're man bashing, but that was that was funny. I just had to say that. No, I was not man bashing. It just, I was a teenager with access to information. And the information I had, I was fairly certain that, for instance, I, my friends and I used to read a lot of Harley Quinn novels, right? And we used to call them um, morale boosters which are absolutely great for, you know, masturbation. So I don't recommend reading Halloween books because they are quite empty, but they are great for romance and like sexuality. So everybody go get one. But I, so I don't sidestep. Yes. And so I was fairly, I, I, I felt like I knew what I needed in a relationship. And I didn't think for me as a teenager, 
I was in the right place to um, experience those emotions, right? It was a very, I, I talked through it with my older sister who is nine years older than me. So it was quite a heavy conversation, but we had a conversation and I said, I don't think I am interested in boys and I don't think I want to date boys right now because what boys want from me, I do not want to give them now. And we talked through it. We had tons of conversations. And eventually she was like, okay, fine. I don't, she didn't support my statement because she did think it was important that I had relationships with men. But she did agree with me that I was too young to be in a relationship. And so I felt affirmed and I really did not have any use for men at that time. But it meant that as I was going older and beginning to accept myself a little bit more and beginning to understand the role relationships played in my life, I was better able to say, you know what? I like X, Y, Z. I don't like X, Y, Z. And when I was ready to have sex, a decision that I made by myself, um, when I was ready to have sex and when I did decide on who I wanted to have sex with, it was I, it wasn't perfect, but it was not a forced activity. It was something that I had come to by myself. So I I suppose um, it was it I, if I had to do it again, I don't think there is a lot I would change about my upbringing in terms of how it prepared me for sex. It was conservative, but it was also um, informative. I suppose, yeah. That's quite good, Pam, because you said something. You were like, if you had to go back, you wouldn't change anything. <laughs> you wouldn't change anything. And I think for a lot of women, a lot of young girls like that probably grow up in, an, in a situation whereby they don't have a lot of self-worth. They end up losing their virginity due to pressure from, let's say, their boyfriends. And I know this is not always the case, and I'm not trying to say it has to do with rape, but just peer pressure. I remember when I was in uni, my first year of uni, I was still a virgin, and I remember like getting teased about it. Now, I didn't have that same, like going back to what you said, I was quite informed about sex as well. Like I'd informed myself, I'd watched porn, I'd seen, um, I'd read novels. And even though I knew life wasn't exactly like that, I had a lot of people in my life that I could talk to. And besides, I, I love to read, I love to study. So I found out, I knew that I wanted to lose it to someone I really loved or I really liked. But I remember being teased about it and, and someone was like, just get it over and done with. And this was when I was in England, by the way. So this is, a, this is also a different culture. You know what I mean? Because I think culture has a lot to do with yeah. um, sexuality yes. and all because of what, yeah. You, what, yeah, what you watch and see. But um, So you, you said that you did it on your own terms, which is very important. And then when, I'm, you said it wasn't great, but it also wasn't bad. So when... Well, let me rephrase this. What motivated you to be very interested in women's pleasure? Like very interested in orgasms. And obviously this is a, I mean, it's a no brainer because you're a woman too and you do want to get your orgasms. Well, you have a platform right now and where you talk about, and I know you said not platform, but you have, I don't know what else to call it, Pam. It is a platform. It's growing, but it is a platform, Pam. <laughs> okay. On, okay, let me put it this way. On social media, you are currently an example to a lot of young Ghanaian women and just women in general. 
lot of young black women, let me put it that way, for being so open and free with your sexuality. So what motivated you to like, get into this, to talk about this, to share this ex- these experiences with people, you know, to teach people <laughs> how to, you know what I mean, how to get off. I don't know if you're um, teaching. Let me, let me just stop. Let me stop. You get my question. <laughs> Maybe someday I'm going to start teaching. Who knows? It's funny you say that because actually when I was applying to university, one of the things I wanted to um, do was psychology because I wanted to be a sex therapist. And my sister said it, it wasn't a real thing. Well, shame on her because it's a real thing. But yeah, I wish I had done that. Anyway, so I think... Even at a young age, you wanted to be a sex therapist. I have at always... A young, at that young, like... Yes, I was 18. I have always been very interested in sex. Um, like I said, I have an older sister. My sister is nine years older than me. And my older brother is about 15 years-ish older than me. Almost 20 years older than me, actually. And so when I was, by the time I was, say, nine, ten, they already had, like, full-blown love lives. And my family is very intimate in the sense that we share a lot with each other. We have very frank, open conversations. I talk to my sisters, my mom, almost every single day. Um, so we had, we, they had cultivated a culture of non-silence and openness. When I say non-silence, I'm referring to just if I ask the question, they might not give me a full response, but they will try to answer, right? And also because in my early teen years, I had worked with PPAG, one of my, one of the core things I would do, which was PPAG's Planned Parenthood Association of Ghana. And one of the core things that my team and I would do was we would go to smaller communities within our community and speak to them about contraceptive health and sex because we had a very high teen pregnancy rate. So indirectly, they also picked my interest in, okay, is it really worth having sex just to get pregnant? And so the more I asked people questions and older people questions, the more I began to understand that Sex had very little to do with pregnancy and having babies. A lot of people actually had sex for pleasure, but they never talked about it, which was very frustrating for me as a teenager, reading all these Harley Quinn romance novels and having an appreciation for, you know, when they talk about the big O and how the women fall madly in love with the guy because he's giving them big orgasms. I did not see that in my household. So... As I was growing older and I was becoming more interested in partnered sex, I started reading and asking very pointed questions. And the more questions I asked, because it was easier to ask women questions, the more women I asked questions of, the the more vague the answers were. I shelved it because I was like, okay, maybe that's how it's supposed to be. But... um, the very first person I had sex with was very patient in the sense that they also had done a ton of research. When, the, when I started having sex, I knew the type of sex I wanted to have. I had a fair idea of how I would feel in certain situations because, again, 
masturbation. So the first time I had sex, it wasn't great. But we talked about it because I said, um, we're in a relationship. I'm, I'm sure he's going to listen to this and he's going to be very upset by the yeah. Um, we're in a relationship and sex is something that we are both supposed to enjoy. I was in university. I was in first year. I also had not had sex before. I don't like using the word virgin, so I'm just not going to use it. I hadn't had sex before. And after the first time, it took a, a week or so-ish. And then we had a conversation about it. And I said, I didn't enjoy it. It was fine, but I didn't enjoy it. And I would like for us to actually have sex that is both um, pleasurable for both of us. And it took the time and we sort of did, uh, how, what's the best way to put this in English? But we did a checklist. It wasn't like a checklist, but we did a checklist. Okay. What do you like? What do you think you might like? What did you enjoy from the first episode, quote unquote? What didn't you enjoy about it? What can I do to make it better? And I was like 19. So this was very important. The reason why I mentioned this is because it kind of set the tone for all my future sex encounters. Because I was in a relationship with this person and my pleasure was a priority for them. They asked questions. They wanted to know how they could please me. And as a teenager, it was exhilarating because I realized that I was having much better sex than all my friends, which was very upsetting to me. So I began to write about my sex experiences. Like I would write just casually um, in like third person. And when I finished uni, um, this is like what, 2013, 2000, yeah, I think 2013. I, my partner at that time, who was coincidentally the same person I had sex with for the first time, asked me if I was still like talking about pleasure and if I was still interested in writing about it. And I was like, yes, I never stopped writing about it. I just don't share it because I felt it was a little too intimate. So they encouraged me to write it for public consumption. And luckily I, I met a team of wonderful women who run this amazing website called Adventures from the Bedrooms of the African Woman. And I noticed that they were taking submissions for erotica. And I had been writing erotica for years, practically since I started having sex. So I had been writing erotica for like four or five years. And I asked if I could submit to them and they said yes. And my very first submission, they got back to me and asked me if I was interested in talking about women and pleasure. And I said, I don't know anything about women and pleasure. And she said, but you just wrote a whole thing about pleasure and you wrote it in a very nice way. I think it's something you should explore. And that changed everything about everything I do because I have always been interested in women. Like, I think my father was the first person to call me a feminist. I was like, maybe I was in high school or something. Um, but yeah, I have always been interested in women. And so I realized that in as much as I was interested in women, I couldn't carry everything on my shoulder, but I could prioritize something. And for me, the easiest thing to prioritize was pleasure. Because I think that once you acknowledge and accept the role pleasure plays in your life, 
it makes a lot of things easier. It makes it easier to decline or accept things. If something doesn't give you pleasure, why would you keep doing it? And that is the principle I apply to everything sexual that I do. If there is no pleasure in this, why must I continue to do it? And the more I began to ask myself those type of questions, the easier it was for me to speak to other people about it because I had no shame. And that was something, well, there's a YouTube that I have a YouTube link with Adventures From on unlearning shame. And for me, that was a big, big thing. I had to unlearn all the shame and the conservations that I had about sex. And the only way I could do that was with accepting that sex is a pleasurable experience and I do not need a reason to have pleasure. That changed everything, like I said. So as I began to accept the role pleasure played in my life, it made me more comfortable with myself as a sexual being, and it made it easier for me to speak with other people about it. And so since maybe 2013, 2014, it has just been a joy for me to be able to speak to women and to be able to speak about women any chance that I get. And with Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, YouTube, LinkedIn, whatever, it had made it more easy or easier to um, connect with other women. The first, one of the first articles I wrote about women and pleasure was called um, I am not Pamela Anderson or am I or something of that sort. And then there was something that I wrote about the, the influence Marilyn Monroe had in my life. Because Marilyn Monroe was very sexual and very unashamed of her sexuality. But she didn't have a good ending because of this time of society that we live in. And between Marilyn Monroe and me being called Pamela and hearing at least two times in a week somebody making a comparison between my name and Pamela Anderson, it just felt natural that I should use these two women to write about my experience as a sexual woman. And I had such a big reception. Like, they were like, I got so many DMs. I had men send me messages. I had friends that I never talked to about sex with reach out to me and ask me questions. And then I realized, oh, this is an opportunity. This is something that I can actually keep doing. I am rambling on, so I'm going to end now and just say, it just felt natural that I would give other women the opportunity to experience pleasure unashamedly in the same ways that I do. So, yeah. I'm so sorry. I just First of all, you're not it. rambling. You were not rambling so on. I was, I was taking notes. <laughs> you are not rambling <laughs> at all. You're not rambling. Because I was, the thing is, you actually answered a question that I had in mind because I was going to say, um, how I, were you able to be so confident? First of all, I think it's a natural gift that you have, and I would think so because I'm this woo-woo tower reader chick. <laughs> but I think it's a, like a natural gift that you have in terms of how you've just always sort of known, like from a very young age. This is something that I've spoken to a lot of other women who are passionate about this but they did not come to this realization until like maybe a couple of years after you did. So I will commend you. I definitely will commend you on that. So, but like one thing I want to ask is a number of women often talk about 
never having an orgasm. I've heard this several times. And there's this perception that the female orgasm is way more complicated than the male orgasm. So why do you think, what do you think is the main reason why women are not properly satisfied in bed? I know there are many reasons, but just, you know, please. <laughs> what do you think are the main reasons why? And the simple response is the patriarchy. So yeah, if you want the longer response, <laughs> yeah. the longer response, a longer response yeah. at least from my personal experience and from conversations with many, many other women, women, we, we are expected to be passive in sex, right? Um, even the language that we speak to sex we speak on when we are talking about sex it's 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 very it's a reflection of how we approach sex society expects that sex is something that you do to women and even when you are having sex with a man the idea is that he has given you something and you are enjoying it, whether or not you really are enjoying it because it's a man and it's a man that's doing it, right? So our ideas of sex and having sex is just very much tied into what a man wants. So not many of us grow up or age thinking of ourselves as sexual beings. There is a, um, a very thin line between saying, oh, I have sex and I enjoy sex. And that very thin line is our approach towards the men we have sex with. For me, I had to change what I expected from men that I have sex with. For a very long time, I also thought it was perfectly okay if you don't have an orgasm every time that you have sex. Because, yeah, it does take a little bit of time to get yourself to that place. But then I realized that if you can have an orgasm every time you masturbate, and on average, women masturbate like between a minute and four minutes when they are having sex by themselves. Okay, I'm going to stop saying masturbate and just say DIY sex because I just really like DIY sex. There's, there's that. you have DIY sex, sex sounds funny. <laughs> right? It, it makes me laugh. Um, you have a minute to four minutes to orgasm when you are masturbating. So it just means that when we are having partner sex, especially partner sex with men, there is not a lot of foreplay. There is not a lot of engagement. There's not of, um, a lot of um, mutual satisfaction. And so, of course, once the man comes, sex is over. And we have accepted that this is okay. That is why a lot of women think it's perfectly okay to not experience orgasms. Several years ago, I went for um, an event called Vagina Monologues. Vagina Monologues was just basically people talking about sex and about their vagina because, you know, vagina is treated like such a taboo word. And there was a portion of it that they were talking about the st statistics for sex. And the woman said... They had interviewed X amount of women and the, I can't remember the actual figure, but out of all those women that they had interviewed, only about 95% had said they had 
experience orgasm the first time they had sex with men. And continuously, only about, I think, 85% or so um, continued to have orgasms, did not have orgasms. Sorry, 95% of the women said they did not have orgasms the first time they had sex with a man. And 85 or so percent said eventually they still did not have an orgasm. And so the lady asked the whole auditorium at the National Theatre that how many women had never had an orgasm? And babe, if I tell you the number of people that raised their hands, I, I, my jaw dropped because there were matured women, older women that were raising their hands and saying they had never had an experience or they had never experienced orgasms ever, ever in their life. It, it shocked me because even though I knew that sex was not a priority for women, I did not know it was that bad. So I started asking more questions. I started um, speaking to my friends more openly about sex. Coincidentally, it changed the nature of my friendship with my friends because we became closer. We became more intimate because we were sharing things that we would not normally share with anyone else. And then I realized that for me, at least from all those conversations, men are the problem. Not because men don't want to give women orgasms, but simply because society has gotten to the place where men are the the end goal for sex is for men to have an orgasm and men take it for granted. And so they don't ask their partners if they are even enjoying what they are doing with them. So that's why I said patriarchy. The simplest answer is patriarchy. So unless, until we get to the space where we acknowledge that women are full human beings who are entitled to the full range of sexual activities and pleasure, we're going to keep having that conversation. It's going to take people forever to even understand that it is not too much to ask for that every time you have sex, you have an orgasm. It doesn't mean it's going to be mind-blowing or you're going to be squirting into the skies. It just means that every sexual encounter you have must be pleasurable. And if the person that you're having sex with is not prioritizing your pleasure, you have to let them go. It's it's painful because sometimes they are really good to you and there's love and da-da-da-da-da-da. But if the sex is not great, it's not great. Let's just go because we can't keep having this conversation over and over. The men are not going to change. There's progress. They're doing better. You know, I can say for myself, at least, I can see that my sexual experiences are getting much, much better. But I would not hold my breath and wait for men to learn to do better. So just, you know, speak up, tell them what you want. Um, we have to begin to unlearn that the, the culture of like, oh, women don't talk about sex. And you, if you're not an honorable, respectable Christian woman, if you're always talking about sex, we, we have to let all that go. And as the Nigerian in me will say, close mouths don't eat. So you kind of have to ask for what you want. That's, that, that's my quickest solution to that. It's the patriarchy. So to smash the patriarchy, you have to ask. So, yeah. Very true. You said closed mouths don't get fed. And as an Nigerian, I'll second that. Because I remember my first like sexual partner, he used to tell me, he was like, you are quite demanding. But he didn't say that in a bad way. He was actually intrigued. He was like, 
you are demanding, you're expressive. And I remember looking at him like, am I not meant to be? And right. He, yeah, but and and he was like, he was like, it's a good thing. He said, no, I like it. He was a good guy though. And he was like, I like it. It's a good thing. It's just that most people, most women, and when he said people, men, women, most women are not necessarily like that. And I've also been in positions whereby I have been like, no way I've been intimate with someone and you can just tell like, okay, just get it over and done with. Not because you didn't like him, but some people do prioritize their own pleasure. A lot of, and a lot of men do that. And it's very important that women do speak up, like you said, extremely important because that is the only way we are going to, how do I say this, combat th this or change this. It's just by being able to say, listen, I didn't like that. This is how I want you to eat me out. This is actually how I want you to kiss me. And also, I think a lot of, a lot of it has to do with self-worth and the power dynamics in relationships. You know, usually a lot of women, yeah. you are being told, oh, you are, you are lucky to be chosen or this guy likes you and he can marry you. And it's kind of like being in a relationship and being desired is the true prize. So even when the sex is not necessarily good or you're not being satisfied, being able to speak up for yourself is a lot harder because it's like, I don't know how will he feel about it or how will he do this? And some people just won't listen, like you said. Like I remember telling a partner that I had one time and I was like, sometimes you're a bit too forceful. Like I wanted to be more tender and he was like, maybe that's just what I like. And I remember thinking, how about what I like? Do you understand? So it's just mm. being able to speak up like that. That is so important because it's like, most women won't say how about what you like, especially when they're in love with the person or they feel like, okay, he can walk out to me. I really did not care. And I was like, I don't like that. You have to change. Mm. And I wouldn't even pretend like I've always been, oh, I'm always this confident. I've been in situations whereby I just allowed it to happen, like sex to happen to me. Another thing you said earlier, you were like, um, the shame around sex. I, growing up, I've, I've always been told, oh, you allow a man, or I was told growing up, if I allow a man to sleep with you, you know, before marriage, he just is, is taking from you, he's taking your glory, he's taking this. And for a long time, I had no idea I internalized that. I started to see mm. sex more as like, oh, he's taking something from me. But not even in a bad way, because if I, if I liked him, but if I felt like, okay, we had sex and the outcome of the relationship didn't play out to suit me or you did something I did not like, then I felt cheated because you took something from me instead of seeing sex as a mutually beneficial experience. And that True. was... <laughs> when I had that epiphany, I was like, why do I think like that? Like, it was a huge epiphany. And that's the thing about the subconscious mind. It buries stuff deep down. So sometimes you don't even know why you're acting the way you do until you really sit down and get with yourself and ask yourself the hard questions. Why do I do this? Why do I self-sabotage? Why do I do this, that? And I realized, wow, I had to change that narrative within me. And I had to, and it also came from shame. I had to be honest and be like, this is what I'm doing. And I'm happy about it. You know what I mean? And I'm owning it. So, um, so just before you go, because I know our time is fast spent, can you just share some effective tips and positions that can help? And I'm really sure our audience is 18 plus. They have to be. But do you have any effective positions and tips that can help women, even if it's just masturbation, just for you to realize how you enjoy being pleasured? Okay. So... Once again, so, I'm going to overshare because that's the easiest way for me to get my point across. <laughs> um, so 
for the longest time, I did not like being touched. You know, I don't mean um, just generally. I just did not. I don't. I'm. I don't. Hmm. You're right. This is an 18 plus group, so I'm just gonna go right ahead and say I just don't like it when people touch my clitoris. It just makes me feel uncomfortable. I've never liked it, and I am sure that there is a lot of work that I need to do to figure out why, but I've just really never liked it. And I've also gotten to the space where it is extremely sensitive because of how in often I let people or myself touch it. I personally did not touch it until I was like in my early 20s because I really just don't like it. I feel like it's too sensitive for random people to DJ on my clip, especially when they are not doing anything that should be written about or spoken about in public. They should be embarrassed, honestly. But when I decided that... I'm Second thing to note, sorry to cut you short, Pam, but DJ on my clip, I'm definitely writing that one down. Okay. <laughs> Girl, they be DJing. They just scratch, scratch, flip, flip. It's very tiring. Everybody read a book or something. But yeah, um, one of the ways that I learned to appreciate it was I learned to set the mood. Like I will put on some candles. I don't like porn, but I will read something that will turn me on. Um, I will think of people that will turn me on, you know. And I will just give myself time and say, okay, for the rest of this evening, I am just going to learn to enjoy touching myself or enjoy learn to get comfortable with other people touching me. And that practice really helped me to get comfortable with my clitoris. So that is my number one tip that whatever makes you uncomfortable, whatever is too difficult for you to swallow about your sexuality, just ask yourself why and set the mood. Try to understand it better. Try to enjoy it by yourself on your own terms. Self-love journey is so important. And I know we're about to round up now. So I was just going to ask you for any closing remarks you have for younger women who are just on this journey. Let's say a young 20-year-old lady and she's just like, I've had sex before. I didn't quite enjoy it. What is this about? You know, what advice would you give to her? I want to say the best sex that you're ever going to have is the one that you are deeply in tune with yourself. The best sex you will ever have is when you are sure that this is the sex that I need right now. And I don't even say that in terms of like relationships or situationships or whatever. I say that because when you learn to please yourself and to put yourself first, when you learn to prioritize your pleasure it changes everything and in as much as you might think that you have that grasp right now sexuality and sex is a journey every single day 
Um, I like to say that it's a spectrum, but it's also like a, a waterfall. It starts from somewhere and it just goes, 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 goes until it meets the sea. And that's how you have to treat your sex life. Maybe you're not having the best sex right now, or maybe you are having the best sex right now. Just know that the best sex is still ahead of you. Every time could be the greatest time. And to my 20-year-old self, I would say, this just isn't it. I'm sure you think it's great because you're having the best orgasms, but the better orgasms are ahead of you. And you can only tap into those orgasms when you tap into yourself as a sexual being and respect yourself as a sexual being deserving of all that love and pleasure. That is the only way that you will begin to say to yourself, oh, maybe this is not so great or, oh, maybe this is great. So, yeah, just fall in love with yourself every day and enjoy it. Very true. Thank you for that. And you said the best sex is ahead of you. I actually feel like even as women, statistically speaking, like we kind of, we peak later than men sexually because, but, and it's we a good do. thing to me because you, you can still be, no, what I mean by peak, I mean, I mean, because I've heard, I've like read a lot of studies. <laughs> I don't hope I'm not saying the wrong thing. <laughs> Correct me if I am. But women in their forties have the best sex because of their sex drive. Something about it, like... Maybe nearing menopause or around age. Mm -hmm. In your thirties, you 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 begin to actually sort of increase your libido starts to increase, and you become a lot more. Um, your performance actually improves for women. So women in yeah. their thirties be having the best sex. So by the time that you're in your forties, yeah, I can believe that. I for sure believe that. Yeah, because <laughs> I've I've read I've read some studies about this. I'm also like. You know, I won't call myself, I don't think I'm as advanced as you, <laughs> as much of a pro as you are, but I do read a lot about sex. And I had that woman in their 40s, really. And at that time, at that time, a lot of men's, like, male, the male libido is coming down because it really peaks in their, like, late um, teens to early 20s. Like, they're just horn dogs around that time. You know what I mean? So after a while, it starts to level up for but I'm not trying to say that the average man won't be more horny or anything. No, I'm not trying to say that. But what I'm just I trying to it. add to your point, that the best yeah. sex is ahead of you. So if you're listening now in your 20s and you think you're having good orgasms, true. When I was like 21, oh my God, 22, I was getting my life. But I had no <laughs> idea that there was still more life. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. There was still more life ahead of me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was way more life ahead of me. So, um... Once again, Pam, thank you so much. Please share your social media handle so we can follow you. And thank any you website or anything you want to share. Well, oh, it's a pleasure. Follow Black Girls Glow on all platforms. That is the hashtag. Become a patron to Black Girls Glow. And for myself, um, you can find me on Instagram, pam.ms or saloon.love. On Twitter, you can find me if you work for the CIA or the FBI or Ghana police. But until then, you can just hit me up on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but but, but Pam.ms is P-A-M-M. So it's P-A-M-M dot M-S. Just to be P -A -M -M. sure. Because, yeah, I used yes. to spell your name as Pam, just P-A-M. 
But I like the way you add the double M for the effect, you know. Yeah, extra. <laughs> Miss not Miss not so Pamela Anderson. <laughs> right. Uh, Thank you, Pam. That was wonderful. Thank you so much. That was fun. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Imole. Please make sure you rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts wherever you stream your episodes. You can also send me emails about today's episode or anything related to mental health and spirituality through fanmail at imolethepod.com. Finally, please subscribe to the Imole newsletter to learn more about our episodes through the link in the episode notes. Thank you and see you on the next episode. This episode was produced by Aisha Salaudin, audio mixed by Lord Phil, and is distributed by Visual Audio Times. For more podcasts, visit visualaudiotimes.com.